Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to the show. We are hoping that you will give us a call today so we can discuss anything you're interested in regarding plants, landscapes, gardens, uh, even houseplants, uh, you name it. Uh, get a pen if you would and write down our phone number so you can give us a call. That number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or uh, you can reach me by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, tamu.edu. Uh, we've got some emails to go through today, and if you, by the way, email is a great way if you have a question of what is this plant, or uh, how do you um, uh, how do you identify this insect or this disease or uh, any kind of thing diagnostic or identification, uh, because we can see a picture. But when you do send a picture, if you would attach it to the email. Use the little paper clip rather than embed it, inserting it into the text itself of the email. It just is faster and easier for me to get a good quick look at it as I'm going through the emails. So also one other thing about pictures, if uh, that my diagnosis or identification is going to be as good as your picture. How about that? And so if it's fuzzy or if you're holding something up and the camera's focusing on the backyard instead of what you're holding up, then I'm not going to be able to... Uh, be able to identify it very well. So just always check um, and make sure that the, the photo is in good sharp focus and that way we can have a good sharp answer hopefully. Well let's go to the phones now number 845-5689 and talk to Lorraine. Hello Lorraine. Are you there? Yes, yes I'm here. Sorry I have to turn on mute. Good. Um, so I found your number on Instagram and I just wanted to call and kind of just get an idea of what it is that you have going on as I see it's like a question, you know, an answer, you know, um, platform. I am new to Idaho, and so I'm coming from San Diego, California, where it is just such a crowded city um, out here to Idaho, where it's, you know, it's just open space, really. Oh, wow. Um, in hopes to, yes, in hopes to, you know, get back to Earth and you know, be able to sustain my family, build our homestead with our few animals. I do have some background in uh, veterinary medicine. All right. Um, so it's just kind of like I just wanted to to hear and to see, you know, what, okay. what you guys have going on. <laughs> All right. So you found us through Instagram and you're homesteading yeah. in Idaho. Yes. 
This is a first. Yes. I've not had a call from this far away before. Well, we we focus on answering questions on uh, anything related to gardening, plants, and things like that. Uh, we, uh, of course, focus here in the Bryan College Station area with our questions and answers, but we do get calls from outside the area. Haven't had one from Idaho, though. That's a, that's a, <laughs> a new one, by the way. Welcome. <laughs> you guys have an extension service there in your own state. Every state has an AgriLife, or AgriLife, has an uh, extension service that's part of the land-grant college system. And uh, there, yes. are fo- there are folks that can help you get good local advice. You know, if it's something like how to start a tomato seed, I can help you with that. But if it's what's the best mm-hmm. perennial flower to put in your bed, I think I'm going to have to punt and have someone in Idaho uh, probably answer that one for you. So. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm aware. I did get in contact also, like, you know, just as soon as we moved in a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you know, just plug into what was going on in town and, you know, who to talk to. Um, they are offering um, this year in August uh, what is they're calling through the extension of Idaho um, Master Garden, like a Master Gardener's program. Good. So Good. that's something that I already um, am looking forward to pre-signing up for, making sure that I get a spot, you know, with some time, you know, and take it from there. Yeah, that's good. Those are excellent programs. They're taught by uh, the university uh, extension themselves, and and, uh, and sometimes they'll bring in outside speakers, and you get a really good science-based education. We have Master Gardening Course here in Brazos County, Texas, but all, all over the state here, and all the states pretty much do as well. Uh, the nice thing I like about it is, again, it's it's research-based. So, you know, with gardening, there's a lot of opinions out there where people feel like this works or that works, or uh, maybe someone is trying to sell you something so they make claims that may or may not be true. And when you have research-based yeah. information, that way you, you feel pretty confident that you're going to get good results from it. So I commend, I commend you for looking at your Master Gardening program, uh, becoming a volunteer out there with Idaho. Oh, yes, definitely. They do have a community garden that they are looking for volunteers. Um, so the weather is getting, you know, pleasant um, within right. these next couple of weeks. So, yeah, that's definitely something to look into as well. well um, cool. So is this something that I could just kind of listen to into the, the questions and answers or is it just based like per person? So what you well, it, it's a radio show. And so what but what you can do is you can oh, go on, cool. you can go online and you can uh, go to K-A-M-U-F-M, K-A-M-U, like A&M University, K-A-M-U-F-M. And uh, you go online, and there's a Listen Live. And you can also listen to past shows. And that's true for any of you guys listening to this today. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to a past show, uh, then you can go back and do that as well. They're all available there online. So, Lorraine, I appreciate you giving us a call and, and hope you will continue to listen online. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you. You take care and good luck with your new place homesteading out in Idaho there. Let's uh, let's see. We want to I want to step to the email for just a little bit. Uh, We've got some emails that have come in that I think we we definitely want to cover. One of them uh, had a question that came in from Aaron. In fact, we've got a couple of fig emails today. I guess today is fig day in the email bin. Uh, but Aaron had a question about a fig that the top died back a little bit. So imagine a little bitty fig plant that's been in the ground not that long, 
and uh, it's coming out green again this year, which of course we want our figs to do every year. But the top is, is dead, and the question is, can I, should I cut it back, or what do I do about that? And the answer is yes. Cut it back to wherever there's good, healthy growth. Uh, figs are marginally hardy in our area, and that means that the plants themselves will live, uh, but the top growth could be killed back to one degree or another. And uh, that's just part of the deal. A lot of years you don't have much cold damage. And other years, my goodness, when we had that 7 degrees uh, back in uh, fe back February uh, a year ago, that was just a, a real, it took our figs to the ground. And so uh, that's one that we do, the fig trees generally will recover from. It's another reason why we mulch the base in the winter, just to be sure. But uh, a little bit of cold damage is not unusual, and we just kind of tolerate it and keep going. And the figs do just fine. So cut it back. Once the new growth begins, like it has now, uh, Elizabeth, you can, or excuse me, um, let's see, what, not Elizabeth, Aaron, I'm sorry, uh, you can just see exactly where to make the cut, and it'll come on back again. And if you're not growing figs, you ought to give them a shot. Uh, the plants can get quite large in time, uh, but figs are a pretty easy plant to grow. There is a leaf, a foliage disease that can cause some defoliation. It's not one we generally spray for. There's not a great way to spray for it. But as far as, you know, insects and diseases and things, figs are not that prone to problems. If you have a real sandy soil, you may have some nematode problems that, that uh, could occur, but in general, figs are pretty tough plants. Uh, so if you're if you're wanting to grow uh, edibles organically, figs is one of the ones that here in our area would be a candidate for that because they do, they don't have any insurmountable issues uh, in most cases uh, that uh, you couldn't you couldn't handle, uh, and they they do really well. You just want to choose varieties that are adapted to your area. For us here, uh, we liked uh, varieties that are closed-eye varieties. If you look at the end of a fig, it's got a little belly button, and the, the belly button is either open or closed. We say that's an open eye or a closed eye. If it's closed, then bugs can't get in there to cause souring and problems. And so that would be a, the kind of variety we would recommend. There's a lot of good figs for this area. Uh, Alma and Celeste are two. Alma you may have trouble finding, uh, but Celeste is pretty widely available. Uh, there's one called LSU Purple, and there's an LSU Gold also, and they both do well here. Uh, there's, there's many other fig varieties. In fact, AgriLife Extension is uh, collecting a bunch of varieties to put into their trials uh, to re-look at figs. Uh, we, many years ago, figs were a huge industry here on the Texas Gulf Coast. And I mean huge, I mean hundreds and hundreds of acres of uh, figs down <clears throat> as you move down toward the Gulf Coast from us. Uh, some heavy clay soils down there that uh, then kind of became a lot of rice growing areas. Uh, but the uh, figs did well. They were shipped all over the country uh, from there. Uh, and then a really severe winter or two kind of took the industry out and it tended to move toward areas that were a little milder, uh, such as California, for example. Uh, and uh, so we just didn't have a recovery of that industry. But the plants are great, uh, dooryard plants, and some people still grow a few on a small-scale commercial uh, basis here. So I think figs are one more people ought to try to grow. In fact, I grew up eating strawberry jelly made with figs. Now you're thinking, well, how could that be? Well, uh, my family used, I think, a strawberry jello in some sort of a jelly-making or jam, in this case, making recipe. And... Uh, 
they used figs with that strawberry flavored Jello in the in the mix. I can't remember the recipe right now, but I just grew up thinking that was something everybody ate, and apparently not. As I've gotten older, I found out that's a little bit different. Some of you may have grown up eating it. If you did, let me know. I'd be curious. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, along the, the way of uh, emails, uh, Fred asks about, is it too late to propagate figs from cuttings? And it, it, it's probably not. Um, that normally we take dormant cuttings of figs and you, you, we say stick them, you put them down in the, and you can put them in soil uh, in a spot or you can just put them in a, you know, a container full of potting mix and to, to root them, put a little plastic bag over them to hold in some moisture uh, and, and root figs that way. But figs are very, very willing to root. And so you can do what's called an air layer where you wrap soil in a plastic covering around the branch and they'll root into that soil. Uh, you can root figs with something called a, a um, just a regular layer. Some some people call them tip layer, but it's it's a, technically it's a regular layer where you bend a branch down and kind of bend or crack the branch. You don't snap it off. You just sort of make a little like an elbow joint out of it by bending it until it, it's broken, but it's not broken loose. Put that under the ground. Put something there to hold it down as the wind moves things around, and maybe a heavy rock or a U-shaped. Uh, some people use like a, a coat hanger wire bent into a U, pushed into the ground to pin it down. And you bury the part that's that's the elbow, if you would, and uh, it'll root then. And you can just cut it loose from the mother plant and dig it up. You could also try cuttings, but once they have leaves on them, uh, they tend to collapse before they have time to root. In other words, those leaves are pumping water and there's no place for the water to come because it's a cutting. The cuttings can't take up that quantity and rate of water, so they don't they don't tend to make it. So, Freddie, I think that those options would be maybe your best ones. If it's a tree you have access to, uh, the air layer may be a good way to go. If it's a tree that you can visit now and then visit in maybe two or three weeks, four weeks, uh, you may want to try the regular layer down on the ground, uh, and those those may give you a good a good option. Well, let's go back to the phones again. The number eight four five five six eight nine and talk to David. Hello, David. Um, hi. Uh, good afternoon. Afternoon. It, uh, how are you? Good. Thank you. Um, so I've got a question about pomegranates and, and planting in Bryan in a in a neighborhood. Um, I've got a couple bushes that actually I got uh, given to me from the one of the extension horticultural uh, entities. Okay. And um, so around, I guess in the last freeze, since the last freeze, that was like uh, February, almost a year, a, a year back then, um, they, they've not come back up. I think they completely died. And I wonder if I should try again or if maybe based on the cultivar, it's, it's actually not hardy enough for me to let it go like that. Okay, so you um, you planted the pomegranate when? How long? Um, I I would say uh, three year twenty nineteen mm -hmm. um, spring I think. Okay, and and it didn't come back after last February. Uh, I think this so this spring like right now mm -hmm. is when I'm I'm sure that they're not 
they're not coming back. And it came back, ap- but it did come back after the cold we had last February, the the real bad cold. So I can't be 100% sure, but I, I think they did. I, I okay. was away from the property for some time. Gotcha. But, yeah. Gotcha. Well, pomegranates are pretty hardy. So, uh, I mean, they're, they're not going to grow in Canada, but, you know, it, it, in terms of uh, the kind of cold we have here, they, they should do okay. And uh, so I don't think it's an issue with cold, although with any plant, with, and i was been talking about figs, and this is certainly the case with figs, uh, as you push a plant into succulent growth late in the year, you're more likely to get cold damage because it hasn't hardened off properly to prepare for the winter cold it normally would be able to tolerate. And so we can predispose a plant to more cold injury by pushing it into succulent growth late in the season. But I don't think that's the case based on just what I've heard you say on the pomegranate. Uh, it could be a, a poor drainage situation. Pomegranates do not like to be in, in uh, anaerobic soil, meaning there's so much moisture in the soil that it drives the oxygen out and the roots are basically uh, cannot get oxygen. Uh, so it could be a thing like that. Uh, or some other cause for some reason that it declined. Uh, but pomegranates are pretty tough. They do have some issues with diseases, but that wouldn't be something that would keep a plant, uh, the cause a plant to die and not come back out of the ground. It would, they would be a disease of the fruit or maybe a disease of the foliage or something like that. Um, well, it's somewhat of a low area, and I, maybe it just has a thin layer of soil before it clays below that. And um, they did, they really thrived one year for sure. They, they grew happily throughout, you know, to all 12 months. So maybe is there a certain soil moisture um, or soil type that will give, it, give you a, a worse result when, when it does come to freeze? Well, the no soil with a pomegranate, uh, just a, a decent soil that's, that's well drained is probably the best, the best thing for you for you there uh and so it it's it, a heavy heavy clay would not be my first choice more of a loamy soil if you have that option and just a pure sugar sand that just doesn't hold water or nutrients well at all is not going to be a good choice uh, but with most soils you can do some things to improve them you know if it's a poor drainage you can build up a raised bed uh, add some things in to loosen the soil loosen the clay up a little bit and uh, create a better drainage with the sand. Organic matter into the soil can help uh, with water holding a little bit. And so you can amend it some. But in general, they're, they're pretty forgiving. I'll, I'll see if I can do some amendments and maybe just pick a brand new spot in the yard since there's different kind of areas in the hill. Mm-hmm. So thank you. All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot, David, and good luck with it. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Our number is 845 845- Five six eight nine eight four five fifty six eighty nine, or by email garden success at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu. Uh, we had a email came in from Chris, and it was about the garden success uh, a uh, link that uh, seems to not be working for the the online. Uh, I tried that link, and I also got that it's not working. I don't know exactly what's wrong with it, but I do know this. If you go to KAMU-FM and you find the webpage, uh, you will be able to find Garden Success. It's one of the shows that's on live radio. So it's KAMU-FM.org, 
and uh, just uh, go to listen live if you're listening live or go to uh, the uh, garden do a search for garden success hey what's up another thing i can offer is uh-huh. that the the kmu website is going to be undergoing some upgrades in the next couple of weeks there oh. are going to be changes but uh-huh. garden success will continue to be available on the new website all right. So if you log on and notice that things look completely different, um, that is why. But All right. Good. Success will be there. We will not go away. So just just keep trying, and we'll be there. In fact, some of the changes are exciting and and uh, nice improvements in terms of moving forward. I I understand. That is correct. More announcements when they are available. Ah, okay. So no teasing uh, the new announcements just yet. Very good. Well, let's go to the phones and talk to Melinda now. Hello, Melinda. Hello, Skip. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. It's beautiful outside. Uh, I called, well, first of all, the gentleman that called just a few minutes ago about his uh, pomegranate. Uh, mine tanked after the cold last year. Mm-hmm. And it had done really well for, you know, four or five years. Never had any pomegranates on it, but it definitely died. Okay. I called about our Myers lemon plants, uh, well, bushes, a couple of weeks ago. And I had expressed some concern because uh, the very first freeze that we had turned out to be a lot colder than we expected, and we didn't have them sheltered and they lost a lot of leaves okay so we weren't sure that they were going to make it but um i thought i'd call you and tell you that in the past two weeks they have leafed or are leafing out again and uh in the lower part of the plants or bushes they are beginning to bloom already oh boy and these were the ones that i told you that were like five and six feet tall mm-hmm. and uh so uh they're going to be okay well that's that's great it, it through that and uh uh the angel trumpets are coming out from the ground again as we would expect and so uh things are looking good well, that's that's good, and you know citrus will do that. Uh, you know, we can have cold that kills citrus, and by the way, that February a year ago, everything, all bets are off when when we have that kind of cold, uh, for pomegranates and figs and all kinds of things. Uh, although our figs have come back mostly, uh, but with the citrus, sometimes you do lose the foliage, and then you get these little bud sprouts that come out along the stem, which it sounds like what's what's happened for you. So. Uh, kind of cool. I, don't you just love the blooms of citrus, the smell? Oh, it is one of the most fragrant things. It really is. It really is. We're not a, we can't grow lilacs down here. And gardenias, you, well, let's just say you got to go to great lengths and make them think they're not here to have a happy gardenia. Uh, but, boy, we sure can grow some nice citrus blossoms. Yes, they are. And the other plant, the angel trumpet that mm-hmm. I mentioned, uh, it's semi-tropical, and so it dies back to the ground every year. And, yes. Uh, it, I thought it didn't have a fragrance, and then one year we had a lot of rain mm-hmm. uh, in the spring and into summer, and ours are on the east side of the house, so it gets water runoff from the house, and the they had grown to about seven feet tall that year. Mm-hmm. And the two plants, 
had 180 blooms on them. And at dusk, when you would step out on the porch, it would smell like sweet baby powder. <laughs> That's the only time of day that you ever got a fragrance from them. That's and right. They're, you know, they're the ones that has the really long trumpet bloom that hangs down. Mm-hmm. Not Daytura, but the other. Uh, yes, the Brugmansia. Angel trumpet. Mm-hmm. And they just make, they're just so beautiful in the landscape and do really, really well here, despite our hard freezes, you know, they That's right. come well, back from the roots. So. Well, Melinda, I hope you got some pictures of that uh, angel's trumpet, because that sounds like it was gorgeous. It, I don't, I don't know if I have, I think I've lost those. Oh, no. Okay. I well, my phone swimming one day. But uh, my d- husband does have pictures of... Uh, some of the subsequent ones. Okay. They're blooming. So. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna comment on those a little bit. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so yeah. the the Brugmansia, or the uh, as Melinda was saying, the angel's trumpet. They they call them that because the it's the blooms hang down as if trumpets from heaven hanging downward. Uh, there's the uh, Datura, which is uh, a uh, poisonous actually a poisonous plant that uh, there's a native weed of the West, West Texas and other places uh, called Jimson weed. If any of you know uh, Gene Autry songs like Back in the Saddle Again, he talks about the Jimson weed. That's, that's what he's talking about, a, a Datura, a type of Datura. Those have blooms that are more horizontal or upward, a uh, little bit upward, not straight up, but uh, more horizontal and slightly upward. And uh, they're not as fragrant as, as the, the Brugmansias. But Brugmansia is one of those plants. It's like moonvine, moonflower, which is a morning glory-like plant, that uh, is moth-pollinated. And uh, so they're, they typically do their blooming and send out their fragrance at night. And often plants like that have, have white blooms or very light-colored blooms. Uh, and that's so that a moth flying along at night can, can follow his nose and head, its head to the flower. And that's why they do have that evening fragrance. We had one last year. And by the way, mine uh, is not coming back yet. It was in a container, and I'm a little bit worried because container plants are not as cold-hardy as ones in the ground. Uh, but I haven't seen new growth on mine yet. But it, boy, I tell you, you get out there about 6 o'clock, uh, 8 o'clock in the evening, somewhere in there, and you just have a really nice fragrance. So if you plant one of those kinds of plants, uh, think about where you sit and where the breeze blows. A lot of times we're dealing with a southwestern breeze at that time of day, uh, and so maybe you would want to put it to the southwest from your patio or outdoor sitting area, or if it's a container or uh, locating it there. Now things like sunlight and other things will definitely have an, uh, that factor uh, determining where you would put that plant, but uh, Daytura's uh, use a lot of water, and so mine in a container had to be watered every day to keep it happy, and I had it protected from the western sun. So just uh, think about all those things, but uh, as uh, Melinda was saying, that, that Brugmansia is a, a wonderful, a wonderful plant uh, to have with a nice fragrance and just really beautiful uh, as well. Well, our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689. Or you can reach me by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Had a question come in from email uh, uh, from Paul. 
a big post oak tree died, and they're wanting to build a planting area, uh, a planting area around that general area, and plant a few things in the fall. And that's a good idea because fall is an excellent time to plant uh, anything that lives more than a year. Uh, should be planted in the fall as one of the best times. Now, I say anything. I'm sure there's some exceptions, but uh, trees and shrubs and woody vines and perennials and perennial herbs and all those kinds of things, they do super well when you plant them in the fall. So anyway, Car uh, he was Paul was wanting to put in some things there, uh, thinking about maybe a Catawba crepe myrtle. Catawba is a variety of crepe myrtle. And you can tell because of the name Catawba, which is a Native American word or name, that would be one of the powdery mildew-resistant crepe myrtles that's out there on the market. And he's wanting to maybe put some native grasses and shrubs and, and things like that. Uh, and discussion is around what would be good to till into the area. Generally, if there was an old tree there, you're going to have trouble tilling anything in because the tree roots last a long time. Even after the tree's dead, you've got these woody things in the way that keep you from tilling. But mixing a little bit of organic matter into the soil over a large area can be helpful uh, in getting that plant started because what it does is it semi-simulates the uh, forest floor environment where organic matter has been decomposing for decades and hundreds of years and building that soil. And so uh, when we want to plant, doing that to a large area can be helpful. Now, putting some compost in a planting hole does no good at all. In fact, I would contend that it may even work against you, uh, especially in a clay soil where you create this nice underground flower pot in the clay by digging the hole and filling it full of potting soil or compost or something like that, and the roots don't tend to venture out as well. But I would, I would amend the whole area and then... Uh, the whole area meaning wide, as wide as you can, and then dig a hole and plant your plant. And that compost, of course, is not going to last forever. It will decompose away in a matter of just a, two or three years, you, you'll, depending on the size of the, the uh, actual particles. If it's chunky wood, it's going to last longer than very fine textured compost. But uh, by then, you will have been mulching and maintaining a mulch and keeping that mulch there as it decomposes. And it just sort of takes over the forest floor environment um, that the, the plants are, are most wanting to be in. So we're going to come back uh, to Paul's email and talk about some plant materials. But first, I want to go to the phones. And again, the number is 845-5689. And we're going to talk to Carol. Hello, Carol. Are you there, Carol? We may have. Did we lose her? She's still there. Give her just a moment for us to pull her up here. All right, there we go. Hey, Carol. Hi. Hi. Um, I bought some uh, yellow rain lily seeds at the Master Gardener plant sale. Yes. And uh, I'm really excited about those, but I don't know how to plant them because everything on the web talks about bulbs, mm -hmm. and these are these little tiny seeds, so I'm not sure how to plant them. Okay. Well, uh, I actually have planted some of those uh, from the same oh. seed lot that you got yours from, uh, <laughs> and they come up just fine. Uh, most people, when they deal with bulbs, they don't deal with seeds at all. I mean, right. no, nobody plants tulip seeds and daffodil right. seeds and things like that. It's, it's the bulbs that, that everybody is dealing with. Uh, but uh -huh. the yellow rain lily will do well here, and it, and it does good. It's got very, 
very fine grass-like foliage. And I've got some going right now. Uh, they're just started. Oh. I started them in flats like you would tomato plants or something else. Oh, okay. Uh, but I plant a whole bunch of them. And uh, you can put a whole bunch of maybe five or six seeds in each little cell to get them going. Uh, if you want to scatter them out on the ground, that's fine, too. Just be aware that, you know, there are going to be a lot of weeds coming in, and uh, so it's a little harder to kind of get them going. Uh, when I started mine, it was in the wintertime, so that was one reason I did them inside under a light like you would yeah. tomato plants. You could just go right outside with them now in those same cells. Okay. Just remember when you have the little six packs or whatever you're growing them in that that's going to dry out really fast and so you're going to be watering it at least every day if not twice a day uh, to get it okay. to get it going okay. uh, so but you don't have to put them in the soil you can just scatter them out you you can yeah the seeds are, are very uh flat uh the ones you have probably are they kind of black and flat almost yes. like little oatmeal flakes but much lighter yes. okay yes. and so those I just scattered mine on the surface. Now, again, I'm indoors here, okay? So mm -hmm. I, I put them on the surface, I wet them well, and then I put a clear cover over them to hold that humidity in, and they just sprouted. Okay. So don't dig down two inches and bury them in the soil. They won't come up. Uh, okay. they, they, they're going to be right at the surface. You might, if you wanted to get them kind of started first in a flat, uh, you could put some mix in it, scatter them on the surface, and wet it and then maybe a little sprinkling of vermiculite over the surface, about an eighth of an inch, quarter inch at the most, okay. maybe an eighth of an inch deep, and uh, a clear cover over them to get them sprouted and going, and then gradually move them out into more and more sun. Okay, uh, so they, they do need sun once once you've got them out of the flat. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Okay. And and okay. so we're we're starting them at a at a time that they're about to go into a really hard hot summer, and so you're going to have to pamper them along a little bit to have the best yes. best results. Okay. Okay. Can I, I leave them in containers outside? Is that possible? You could. Mm -hmm. You could just. Be aware that if if you're like me, when you get into summer and you get busy, you forget about that container and it get, ends up going unwatered. Now, if it was a good, strong, it had already made a nice bulb and it was a resilient plant like bulbs are, that wouldn't be such a big deal. But uh, with little tender seedlings that are just trying to get established, they're not quite ready to face the drought like that. Okay. Okay, so better not in containers. Well, you, you could. Just, just put them where you have to trip over them every day, walking in and out, <laughs> and that way you won't forget to water them. That's, that's a good idea. Okay. I have one more question. Do you have time? Sure. Okay. I have, my front yard is great. For some reason, my backyard is full of weeds. Now, I've mowed once, but um, should I mow or is it just going to spread all those weeds? Uh, we have a lot of weeds that are that are taking off now and most of them are having blooms and seeds so i would mow and i would put a, a bagger on the mower to catch as much of it as you can okay. now, if you can go out I, I don't know how big the yard is how much you know yeah. availability but i when i hit that stage i will often go out and do a lot of hand pulling you know don't you don't yeah. have to work for five days at it you just spend a little time out there each day when it's okay. cool in the morning and get as much of that out of there as you can because each little weed plant's going to give you a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand seed depending on the species yeah. and okay. the, a mower is not going to get all those seeds out of there but it don't just mow and drop them uh you're sentencing yep. yourself to 20 years of, of weeding. Okay. 
Good idea. Okay, I will remember that. And, but it's certainly not time to fertilize, if I understood you correctly. Is that right? That's right. When you've okay. mo- when you've mowed the lawn twice, mowing weeds doesn't count. But when the grass <laughs> itself okay. has had to be mowed twice, that's gotcha. when you're going to get the most out of your fertilizer. Okay. All right. Yep. Well, this is this is great advice. I sure appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You bet. I'm glad to visit with you about it, and I wish you well. Oh, thank you very much, Skip. All right, Carol. Our phone number, 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu, gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Uh, we will be, um, uh, let's see, we've got some things going on in the area. I want to talk a little bit about that. The, the Brazos County Master Gardeners, this is a little bit ahead of time, but we'll give you a little warning shot here. Uh, the Brazos County Master Gardeners are opening up their monthly programs to the public now as we, as COVID loosens up a little bit. And boy, don't we all hope that it would continue to loosen. Um on Tuesday, April the 27th at 7 p.m. at the Brazos County Extension Office, which is on County Park Court uh, in Bryan. It's essentially right next door to the county tax office. That's our new AgriLife Extension Office. And on April 26th, Tuesday at 7 p.m., we will have a program uh, on the art and design to be found at the John Ferry Garden. It used to be called Peckerwood Garden down in Hempstead. If any of you are interested in native plants, uh, you will definitely want to see this or be part of this program. The garden's executive director, Randy Twaddle, will guide us through the unique expression uh, of one of Texans, uh, pa- as one Texan's passion for exotic and rare plants from Mexico, North America, and Asia. Uh, the, these gardens uh, are a collection of plants from various trips taken to places like Mexico, very other areas of North America and, and Asia, and just some amazing plants. They're not your meat and potato stuff that's in every garden center. These are unusual plants that have been brought back and, and tried and tested and planted here. And the event's open to the public at no charge. That's Tuesday, April 26th at 7 p.m. at the AgriLife Extension Office. So make a mark on your calendar for that. Well, let's go back to the phones now and talk to Mark. Hello, Mark. Howdy, Skip. Thanks Howdy. again for the outstanding program. Um, I delayed planting the shrimp plant mm-hmm. that I got at the Rose Emporium. And is it too late to cut it back, or would you just recommend I leave it in the, um, in the as it is in the in the container? If it's a if it's a healthy plant in the container, you can do it either way. If you cut it back, it'll bounce right out of there. And uh, so I wouldn't worry about it. If you want okay. to plant it without cutting it back, that's fine, too. Uh, it, okay. it just, that way, it's not having to come back out from its stored reserves below ground. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, it just gives it a little more of an early boost uh, to get it established, because I know your goal is to get it established and make a much larger plant out of it. Right. So do, did you recommend a- trimming it a bit or not? Uh, not from the standpoint of the okay. plant's health. It, okay. it will tolerate it and it'll be fine and it'll keep okay. going. No problem okay. with cutting it back. It's just that it'll have to then regrow all the yeah. leaves Got that it. it already had. Got it. Well, I'm glad I didn't cut it back. So yeah. it looks pretty long. But do, do they like sun more than shade? Uh, they like a, a very bright shade to part sun. 
Now, dep depends. There are a number of shrimp plants out there. It, can you tell me, is, is your, are your bloom colors, are they more kind of a rusty red? Are they yellow? Uh, are the leaves solid uh, light green, or are they are they blotchy white, or what kind did you get? Uh, well, I I wanted the original one, which mm -hmm. sort of they I think call orange, which kills me as an Aggie to to <laughs> buy something orange. But it just looked like the ones from fifty years ago. I, I but, came to grips. I got some I got some red ones, right? And, okay. Uh, they, they looked different uh, somehow. I guess they were mislabeled and uh, not blooming, but. But as it turns out, uh, they're both excellent, and, okay. and the leaves are solid green. All right. Well, yeah. uh, that I know. I think I know which one you have, and that one will do well. And I wouldn't put it in full all-day sun. It'll grow, right. but it'll be a little unhappy. But uh, okay. uh, they do well in a Afternoon in a part shade, shade, a bright shade, a, you know, a trimmed-up shade. And by the way, Mark, don't worry about the orange. I came to grips with that a long time ago. That's the color of the Aggie Bonfire, and I think it's a beautiful color. Ah, yes, so, yes, yes. Right. Excellent. I hated the the, the pollution that it caused <laughs> and the loss of trees. But right. went to everyone from when I was a kid. I, right. And then the the, the dr Grumman or whatever. It is. I don't think that's a Drusendorf salvia that apparently grows like a weed. It's blue. It's beautiful. Is it like more sun or shade? It's uh, the old. Are you think of, of Dur um, Yeah. Yeah, I am. Salvia Phoenicia. Oh, gosh. From the, Duelberg. Duelberg. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Duelberg. Thank like you. Like Right. Duelberg. Right. right. Okay. Salvia Farinacea is a Central Texas native, and it grows. If you drive out through the whole country and you see these low sloughs where water runs during rainfall but doesn't stand mm -hmm. all the time, you'll find mm -hmm. it growing in those areas. So it likes some moisture, but it doesn't need okay. to be in a swamp, doesn't want to be in a swamp. Uh, mm -hmm. and it, but it likes full sun. Uh, if you okay. move it into shade, it'll grow, but it'll get spindly and not bloom nearly as well. Okay. So uh, I would I would make sure and and give it sun. That it gets more sun than mm -hmm. the, than the uh, uh, shrimp plant. Yes, and Henry okay. Dolberg is is uh, and Augusta Dolberg are two cultivars of it or discovered uh, plants of it that one of our AgriLife horticulturists, one of my cohorts uh, up in Tyler, Greg Grant, found in a cemetery wow. by headstones with those same names. And wow. So there, it's, it's got a little story to it. Uh, but it's it, it may be a cross it, uh, of, of it with something else or a version of it. I don't really know which is the case on that one, but it, it sure does. It sure is a pretty plant. Apparently, it, it, it just grows like a weed once you get it established, yeah. which well, is what I need, something that, that doesn't need much. <laughs> exactly. That's what we hope that a native plant would do, right? Because it's, right. it's going to yep. be out there wild growing without us. Okay, super cool. Thanks, buddy. You betcha. Thank you very Thank much. You. Appreciate yep. the call. Yeah. Thank uh, you. You bet. All right, let's see. Uh, we were. I was going to come back to an email. I'm seeing we've got a call here, so let me go ahead and and take a call, and then we'll go back to emails. And right now, we're going to talk to Roger. Hello, Roger. Hello there, Skip. How are you doing, sir? I'm well, thank you. Well, I had um, uh, two red oak uh, trees planted last fall uh, professionally by a, a tree service, and um, I'm everything else in my yard seems to be starting to bud. Mm -hmm. except these two trees. Uh, should I be concerned yet? I wouldn't be concerned yet. Uh, we didn't have anything happen this winter that would have caused for concern. I think they're just going to be a little slower coming out. I, I don't know exactly why. I know there's variability between species, and there's variability between individuals within a species. 
and so when it comes to spring, I don't get too alarmed until we get sometime into May and nothing's happening. Then then we start oh, okay. to wonder what's going on. They, they were planted in, in um, November. Okay. Well, that could be another thing, too. They, they probably just don't have the root system uh, yet where they're just really ready to established and ready to come on out. So it's going to take them a year or so to get really good at uh, okay, roots then. going and established. So didn't worry I, about it. Yeah, it, if you plant in November, it's kind of hard to kill a tree between November and now. Uh, you know, because there's no demands on them, the leaves are off, and uh, so I don't. I think they're okay. That, let's let me put it this way: they are as healthy, I think, now as they were when you planted them. So, <laughs> I guess if you planted a dead one, that would, <laughs> that would be an exception to my rule. But in general, I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> now, well, these, uh, it was, like I said, it was professionally done. Okay. So, uh, by this uh, uh, tree tree outfit. Uh, okay, one other question, if you have time. Sure. Um, is it time to start? I was spraying um, Miracle Grow on my shrubs. I know not on the yard, but on on shrubs and things like that. You you can fertilize your shrubs starting in the spring as new growth begins. Uh, I would offer a couple of thoughts though. Number one, the soluble plant foods like Miracle Grow, being one example, uh, that's a a fairly expensive way to put out nutrients compared to just buying a lawn fertilizer and scattering some underneath there and watering it in. Uh, so I would I would consider whether or not you want to do that to an established shrub in the ground. Nothing wrong with doing it. It just is a, let's say, a less uh, economical, less efficient uh, maybe way to do it. Um, if it plants in containers, that's a little different. You know, it's a little easier to give them a quick boost with it. Uh, the other thing is uh, look at the plant and how it's doing. And if it's a new plant that you're trying to get going and established, that's one thing. If it's established, it probably doesn't need a lot of additional fertilization. So consider the growth rate and everything, uh, especially as a shrub starts to get anywhere close to the size you want it to be, we can cut off and essentially not fertilize anymore. I had never thought about that. I've been fertilizing every year. Okay. Well, probably, probably really don't need to because they're mostly pretty well established. Yeah, I think so. You know, and it, you know, I'm not looking at the shrubs. I don't know if they have yellowing leaves or, you know, any other kind of issue. But uh, in general, I, I'll just say this. I can't remember the last time I fertilized a shrub. Now, that's not to say there's not a time and a place for it. There certainly is. But... Uh, in general, if it's an adapted species to our area, if the soil is halfway decent and has, and you've put a, let's just say the nutrient content where you have a soil sample, that it's got a nice balance of all the nutrients that it needs. Uh, it's the only thing it would need is a little bit of nitrogen here and there, and in most cases, we would like them to slow down a little bit rather than to push them faster, which just means more pruning and challenges sometimes. What do I put on those you know, two trees we've been talking about? I would, uh, let's see, they're November planted. So once they start growing, about maybe six weeks after the, the growth comes out and they're going, I would uh, put a cup of uh, lawn fertilizer per inch of trunk diameter on those trees and sprinkle it in a circular area. Uh, I don't mean make a circle with it, but all throughout a circular area, starting from the trunk out maybe uh, two feet, two and a half, three feet out from the trunk in all directions and water it in really well. And then you could repeat that again in about two months. So we just keep it growing. Because the goal this summer is to get them, get them moving.
Okay. Uh, one cup per inch, huh? About a cup per inch of trunk diameter, and then you could go to a two cups per inch of trunk diameter next year if you want to keep pushing them. You know, the first five years of a tree's life, it really could say 10 years even, uh, our goal is just to get it going. Uh, we want to we want to put a hammock in it as soon as possible, right? And so uh, we, we want to get some size on it. Uh, once a tree gets established and it's getting a decent size, we do not need to be fertilizing them. Uh, they they're, they're fine. Uh, they'll do just fine. And, and, and I will say this, too. Watering is probably more important than fertilizing. Uh, that it's the summer droughts that set them back more than a yeah. lack of nutrients in the soil. I mean, think about the forests and stuff, how nobody's fertilizing those, and yet we get these big, beautiful, giant trees in the, in the forest. Uh, so uh, don't feel like it won't grow unless you fertilize it. Okay, really good advice, as, as always, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate the call, Roger. Thank you very much. Our phone number is 845-5689. I want to go to a couple of emails here. Uh, first of all, I was talking about uh, putting in, uh, let's see, Paul had a question about the Catawba crepe myrtle, and he was asking about what are some other native grasses and shrubs that could be used around a crepe myrtle. Um, of course, the native grasses, almost all of them are going to want a whole lot of sunlight, and so you don't want to put them too close to it. But uh, there are a number of different kinds of native species that you can plant here. Some get taller, some stay smaller. Uh, Gulf muley is one that's real popular because it has the reddish ruby uh, seed heads in the fall. That's, that's one that is often popular, but there are many others, uh, more than I could name on here. Uh, that could be used. As far as other shrubs, I'd keep them a little distance away. Again, those shrubs are going to want some sunlight, um, and so you want to make sure that uh, that they get adequate sunlight as well. And it kind of comes down to the aesthetic. Keep in mind your crepe myrtle is going to bloom during the summer, so maybe you would want something that would give you some color in the spring or in the fall. Uh, if you, in the wintertime, the crepe myrtle, unless you misprune it or butcher it, it's going to have a nice, beautiful trunk structure, and that's, that's really attractive as well. Uh, so those would be a few things to consider, but think about what you like. Uh, just so many plants we could be using uh, in an area around them like that. Do you want something that's an evergreen? That is a, a good option because, again, the crepe myrtle is going to go through a dormant period where uh, maybe it would be good to have an evergreen shrub in the area just so you're providing some winter uh, color out there in the, in the landscape. And I know I'm probably not giving you actual names of shrubs, but maybe we need to converse back and forth a little more, Paul, and, and kind of come up with your goals. Or even a photo of the spot would be helpful because then I could see what else is around and maybe come up with some suggestions for some things that would fit that well. One other thing I want to cover on email before we go back to the phones. Uh, we had a question from Brian about what are some tall shrubs, things that get maybe 10 or 15 feet high, and he'd ask about possibly using red tips or Texas sages. Texas sage uh, will do okay here if it has good drainage, which it often doesn't in our heavy clay soils. Uh, Texas sage comes from areas that don't have as much rainfall as we do, so we've got to make it have good drainage in order to keep it happy here. It doesn't quite get large enough... Uh, for a good while, I think, to fit that height bill. Red tip can. We got away from red tips years ago because of a foliage disease that was devastating to them. Uh, now you don't see them around as much, and so I don't know, maybe it's safe to 
to put a red tip back in again, um, it, just be aware that, that that disease can be kind of an issue on the red tips. It's, it's called entomosporium leaf spot. Uh, other kinds of things in the 10 to 15 foot range, if your soil is a decent type and has good drainage, there are some hollies that will make uh, a nice size shrub like that, uh, including our yopon holly. We have some deciduous, uh, I mean, excuse me, some evergreen yopon that have berries. Some are very narrow and almost columnar in their habit. One called Scarlet's Peak has a very upright growth habit. I would give Scarlet's Peak a consideration. Go do an online search for that. Take a look and see if that's something uh, that you might like. Um, gosh, there's there's a lot of possibilities. One of the things is when we get a shrub that gets up 10 or 15 feet high, it often also gets very wide. That would be the case with red tip. So if you've got a property line and you want to put shrubs down them that get that high, you're probably going to end up losing a lot of your property to, property to the width of the shrub as well. Now, you can always prune it, but then that becomes a treadmill where you're constantly fighting to keep a shrub that wants to be maybe 10 feet high and 10 feet wide, uh, 10 feet high and 5 feet wide or something like that. Another good shrub for that kind of height that also can be pruned is southern wax myrtle. Southern wax myrtle is a native. If you shear it regularly and keep the base at least as wide, if not wider than the top uh, by a little bit, you can have a nice uh, foliage cover. It's an evergreen as Yopan is. And so if you're trying to screen something, it would be another good option for that. So Brian, I hope those, those ideas are, are worth uh, considering for you. Uh, let's go back to the phones now and talk to, I believe it's Roxanne. Hello, Roxanne. Hello, Skip. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Uh, I have a really nice patch of blue bonnets, and I would like to use some of the seeds to start a patch in another part of the uh, lot. Okay. Uh, what is the best way to do that? Okay. Well, um, so blue bonnets, as they finish blooming, produce the little pods like a pea pod that um, are green and kind of uh, velvety uh, when they're when they're developing, then they'll start to get a little bit of a, um, a browning, discoloring, tanning color to them as they mature. And at some point, that suture breaks and the pod is under a tension and it flings the seeds all over creation. That's, that's how the blue bonnet spreads uh, in, 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 uh, in the spring. So what you want to do is catch the pods before they do that. And as you start to see them browning a little bit, um, just starting to brown, that means that they the seeds inside are fully developed and now they're just in the process of drying and you would want to pick them and put them in something where when they, I'll say, explode, those seeds don't go all over the place. I've used different things. If you're just doing a few seed, the little organza bags, that's that little material like you might see at a bridal shower, the little gifts put in a little drawstring organza bag. I don't know if you have seen that kind of thing before, yeah. but uh, you can buy those online. They're very inexpensive. Uh, and, and you can just put those over individual pods and collect seeds. Now, if you're trying to cover a large area, you know, you don't want to have a hundred of those things out there. Uh, it'll give the neighbor something to talk about. Um, <laughs> but you might just then want to clip the pods, drop them into a paper sack uh, that you, you know, lightly close uh, because they will pop straight out of the sack too. Uh, but just some place where they can explode and the seeds bang around inside the sack and then at the end you, you've got them all. 
But that that would be your two options. Wonderful. And then when would be the time to actually plant them? Could I go ahead, once they explode? Is that the time to go ahead and and distribute them in in the yard area? Well, that's what nature does. Uh, but that's not the most efficient way. Uh, I would probably wait until fall, let's say uh, late September and go out and prepare the area where you want them to be. That may mean mowing down weeds or something and raking all the mowed clippings out of the way so you have some soil exposure. Uh, it doesn't need to be a bunch of bare soil, but just not like a hay field out there with all the mowed stuff sitting on top. Uh, spread your seeds around like you want them and then somehow rake them into the surface just a little bit. Uh, to get, get some seed to soil contact and then if rainfall doesn't cooperate occasionally putting a big old sprinkler out there and giving them a good soaking. One reason we have such a good blue bonnet show this year is because we had a decent rainfall this past fall when those seeds were germinating because that, okay. that's when they come up and they sit there all winter and then they put their show on in the spring. Okay so I can I now know the things that I have done wrong. So thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope you have better luck this time. <laughs> okay. Well, now this is True Confessions Horticulture Show. So uh, <laughs> you didn't have to do that, but uh, g have fun with doing it the other way. <laughs> okay. Thank right. you much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, let's see. I think we're a little short on time for a phone call. So I'm going to talk this one, one on out. Uh, I did want to get back to the emails for uh, an email from uh, Sherry. Uh, Sherry has burr clover throughout the yard and along a long driveway. Uh, and so uh, what's the best way to get rid of it? And uh, so burr clover at this stage, it's coming out of one spot in the ground, or e each plant is, and then it spreads out outward. And so when the soil is moist, you can reach down and pull it up. And, the, I, and if this is, you know, a lot of it, you're probably thinking, there's no way I can pull all that. Well... That, that's the best option, uh, or that or a hoe that just pops it loose and gets all those seeds out of there. Otherwise, it's going to contribute to more burr clover in the future. If you spray it, you can kill the plant, but once a weed goes reproductive, means it, it's blooming and setting seed, the sprays aren't as effective. And plus, you may already have viable seed, so getting rid of it physically may be your best bet if there's a way to do that. If that doesn't fully answer that question, Cherry, please reply back and we will take another stab at it next Thursday. Hey, thanks for listening to Garden Success. We'll be back again next Thursday to answer your gardening questions. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arborgate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arborgate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.